The Parlay is a debate event that champions open-mindedness, kindness and respectful dialogue when exploring contradictory ideas. Museum of Sticks and Stones would like to acknowledge and extend our deep respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live. This episode is recorded in Mianjin, the land of the Turrbal and Yogara people. We acknowledge their connection to land, sea and community and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Good evening. Um, my name is William Smith-Stubbs. I am the co-founder and CEO of the organization Behind the Parlay, and I want to start just by saying thank you so much for coming along. We uh, are a small non-profit organization. We began here in Brisbane 12 years ago. We worked out of borrowed living rooms and burger joints until they closed. So to have the powerhouse underground theater sold out twice by you all is a really astonishing accomplishment. So thank you so much for turning up tonight. And I also want to say thanks to the team. Uh, you guys are absolutely stellar. Uh, what you pulled off, this is the second edition of a very crazy idea we had, and we thought, let's just give it a red-hot go. You both times, you have just knocked it out of the park. So thank you so much for what you've done. You are beyond words remarkable. Thank you. Absolutely. Louder, even. Yes. Tonight is a pretty fun night. Um, has anybody been to the first edition of the Parlay a few months ago? Can I get a holler? Yeah? Oh, you came back. That's good. Excellent. Good. That's a good start. For those that haven't, um, I might explain what tonight is about. If you don't know, I don't know why you bought a ticket, but it's nice that you came anyway. Uh, we've been working for 12 years around mental health. We started out trying to reduce the rate of suicide in young men. We produced campaigns such as, uh, and excuse the language, soften the fuck up, aimed at getting young men to undo what they're told about stoicism and to embrace vulnerability and seek help when they needed it. We produced Old Mates, an intergenerational loneliness campaign to tie young, lonely Australians with new friends in their 80s plus. And in the last few years, we embarked upon a new journey, a project that we call the Museum of Sticks and Stones. And I can't tell you how excited I am by this work. It is completely unexpected, but I think it is something that the world really needs right now. The Museum of Sticks and Stones and the Parlay being one of those aspects is a call to us all to understand that hate is human, but humanity is built on compassion. It seems these days that we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that sometimes it is better to be kind than it is to be right. And the fact is I'm tired, I'm pretty tired, that it doesn't feel like we are able to listen to each other anymore. We have a landmark major decision in this country coming down the line not too soon, and for some reason we cannot seem to listen to each other's opinions about it without attacking each other. We have major problems to solve. The seas are rising, almost as fast as apartment prices. <laughs> And I don't know how we're going to fix that unless we can listen to each other. Tonight is about trying to remember that once upon a time, before likes and followers and reshares, we were able to talk to each other and to have different opinions without resulting to dismantling each other. And I believe that we can do that. I believe that we can get back to that place of understanding and empathy. And tonight is a bit about that. It's about training that muscle again. The debaters that signed up to participate have willfully put themselves on the line in the name of potentially being cancelled. You don't know how tonight will go. <laughs> because they believe in that mission too. And I'm so grateful that they said yes to participating this evening. And I'm, I think it's very courageous of them. And lastly, I want to say all of you, your open minds, your willingness to come to listen to us, to support what we're doing, your belief that... Yes, hate is human, but we can return to humanity and to civility. Thank you very much for that. I also need to thank the people who gave us money, um, because that's pretty important, and I usually forget that part. So um, none of this could be possible uh, without the powerhouse, of course, uh, helping us out with a really great rate to put on tonight. But most importantly, a sponsor that came on board and said, yes, we really like what you're doing. Uh, we really want to help you, and that's QUT. Uh, QUT took very little convincing. Uh, they came to the first parlay. They said, yeah, that's a good idea. Some ideas and some feedback, but we like it. 
let's see what we can do together. And it's really rare that you had those sorts of partners that can see that vision and want to help you achieve that. But tonight, try and remember it's about understanding. We're not trying to convince you of a viewpoint, but to understand that others have viewpoints that are not your own. And through that, we might uncover some common ground. My job last parlay was to MC, and because I'm very lazy, I gave that job to somebody else. Uh, he was one of the debaters in the first edition. He is the prince of the parlay, a master of persuasion, and just a really cool guy. And that is Ashwin Segar. Ashwin, would you like to join me on stage, please? Hi, Will. Hello. Ashwin, yes. ABC Radio. Yeah. Host, comedian, uh, expert tea drinker, I'm told. Yeah, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Yeah. Yeah. But I also know that in the first parlor you lost uh, a friend. Yeah. Through, uh, you posted about it, they didn't like the idea that you were debating. Well, they didn't, but because I'm a brown presenter on the ABC, I'm used to getting hate mail, so <laughs> there was... There, it was fine. Um, but, you know, I did lose a friend. I posted, a, I posted about um, doing it and someone said, oh, you're enabling hate, which is, which is a topic I'll get to, but that's not what tonight is about. Fantastic. Well, yeah. I hope you don't lose any more friends by the end of this evening. Um, I will hand over to you. Yeah. Um, again, try and keep it cool. You've yeah. got a musical instrument to, to contain, yes. uh, which will be fun to see. Um, ladies and gentlemen, my job is done, thank God. Uh, I would love to hand over to your MC for this evening, Mr. Ashwin Sega. Cool, thank you, Will. Um, thanks. We, we wanted to create quite a peaceful, serene environment for what could be quite a spicy debate but they've seated you in the shape of a coliseum. <laughs> so, like, what the... That's... Or an even more hostile environment, like a Taylor Swift concert. I don't know, it's just sort of, you know... Mm. I was going to sing a Taylor Swift song, but I actually don't know any of her lyrics. I'm too old, so... I don't know, Gloria Estefan. One thing I've got to mention, this mic has to stay here, because it's been... What's your name, sir? Daniel, if you see this mic drooping down... Can you give me some kind of, yeah, like some kind of flaccid gesture, like lift it, <laughs> lift it up. That's the main thing. Uh, as an MC, I don't have to have an opinion tonight, so some people who do have to have an opinion are your team. So can you welcome to the stage our debaters for this evening? We have got number one, Sigrid Mother. Round of applause, please. Um, Ivy Hawke, Jesse Hughes. Alain Gillamain, Julianne Carroll, and Dan Axelson to the stage. Please give them a round of applause as they arrive on the stage. Um, just, now, has anyone debated before since high school? No, never. Never? Uh, never. <laughs> but on the side? I was 15, and we did win, so okay. you know, the stakes are high tonight. All right, yeah. this should go well. All right, please take a seat, and we'll get it started with the night. Um, Round of applause as your debaters take the seat. <laughs> Just warming you up. Um, I want to read your statement from the Museum of Sticks and Stones because, as I said, this could be a potentially spicy debate if you misread what this organisation is about. So this is what tonight is about. Um, short welcome. As we gather here today for the Parley, let us take the time to remind ourselves and acknowledge the importance of respectful discourse. A core tenet of the Museum of Sticks and Stones is to work towards reducing the experiences of hate and harm we all have on and offline. It is us in this spirit that we have this debate today and trust that the conversations we have will be done with sympathy, empathy, understanding, respect for each other's point of view and experiences. So it is a respectful debate. As, as Will was saying, I did lose one friend when I promoted the last debate. And I was wondering, I wonder if something similar happens tonight. Hopefully no one, you know, throws any tomatoes at me, but um, given the price of groceries, that would be quite nice if you could. <laughs> just a half avocado, perhaps, just over there. Um, all right, so some time, some ground rules. What happens with this debate is every speaker gets three minutes. Oh, that's very dramatic music, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not... Minutes, I'm a, every three? speaker gets three minutes on stage. And then, um, but at the two, they've given me this, it would have been culturally inappropriate if anyone else played this sound. <laughs> but I'm allowed <laughs> to make the sound of a Bhutanese gong. So it's very peaceful. Oh, so 
They get three minutes on stage. After two minutes, they'll get their first gong. If they're still on stage, they'll get a second gong. And if they keep talking, I'm just going to go mental on this thing. <laughs> I'm like, you know, they could be like, and another thing Jordan Peterson said. <laughs> or something, like, something, something like that. Um, that might be the phone's off. You've heard the housekeeping rules. Has it, okay, give me a yell if you've been to a debate before. Yeah, good. Good. It should be good. It should be fun. Um, I was just thinking about this concept of cancel culture. My only experience of this concept of cancelling was in the 1980s. I went to a, I was in New Zealand growing up in school there, and a kid in my class, his mum tried to get wrestling banned on New Zealand television. And I was a volunteer school librarian, so obviously I got headlocked a lot at the time. <laughs> so I was quite good with, you know. Yeah, if you know the Dewey Decimal System at that age, expect to be suplexed. Um, expect it. So. But since then, what have we become as a culture? Is cancel culture real? Is it real? Is it significant? Or is it a beat up? Doesn't really matter. We're going to investigate that tonight. As I said, you don't have to have an opinion yet. Neither do I, but we will choose a winning team at the end. Three minutes each, let's kick off the debate. Can you please welcome your first speaker is Ivy. Ivy Hawke completed a law degree. And what's PLT, Ivy? Practical legal training. Oh, practical legal training. I'm sorry, I didn't know that was such a common term. Um, <laughs> no, it's true, true, true. <laughs> just as PLT. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like a Burger King burger. So, <laughs> um, at QUT and was admitted by the Supreme Court, which Ivy seems embarrassed about for some reason. Were you what? putting your head what? down? At the law degree part, you put your head in your hands. Yeah, I was ashamed of it. Yeah, you're right. Shamed of the law I degree. I put okay. that in. <laughs> well, see what Ivy's done with um, their shame. Please welcome to the stage, Ivy Hawke. Well, actually, I put my main thing as comedian, but I guess a law degree and Supreme Court work too. It's a very similar vibe. Um, I, I'm, I'm Ivy. I'm here to argue in, in terms of um, that we should cancel cancer culture, and I'm going to say by immediately fighting the opposition by saying that they will tell you that cancer culture is holding people accountable for their actions. I'm here to tell you we already have a system for holding people accountable, and it's for law. A key principle of the law is the notion of fair notice, that such an individual may be informed of something that they have done, in a done wrong in a reasonable and private way. Cancer culture does not alert reasonably or privately, instead invokes a primal fear of waking up and your life being over. In addition to lacking the principle of fair notice, cancer culture also lacks procedural fairness. Take the age and time considered considerations, for example. Various criminal jurisdictions have developed juvenile justice systems that, relatively speaking, favor this word I hate, rehabilitation. I've had it's 10 times in my, in my script, but I still hate saying it. <laughs> Over imprisonment, because youth um, develop adultmentally different from adults, often sealing the records of young offenders so they're not disadvantaged by future crimes. Cancer culture completely ignores this concept and punishes indiscriminately. Individuals such as Alexi McCommand being let go from Teen Vogue at age 27 for tweets she wrote at 17 are often punished for conduct that occurred when they were teenagers and didn't know any better. Take, for instance, me. I was a video game player in the turn of a century. Um, if anyone has any recordings of me at 14 on TeamSpeak, please do not you know, release them. <laughs> I'm a bit scared of being cancelled right now. Another sound legal doctrine that's entirely missing from cancel culture is proportionality. The severity of sanction back for being cancelled can include anything from death threats, public shame, to a prospect of not being employed in the foreseeable future, regardless of the wrongdoing the perceived, the perceived wrongdoing the person has done. This is often very damaging. Ah, oh, the gong. <laughs> this is often much more damaging in a prison sentence because at least after prison you can regain an income or re-enter society. Often people that are cancelled are often shunned to the edges. Finally and most importantly, cancer culture does not offer rehabilitation. Cancer culture publicly shames the sanction by establishing itself as a moral authority. It casts down those as fatally flawed without hope of rehabilitation or restoration in the community. Because of this failure to embody fairness, contextuality, proportionality, real, I hate that I've put this in a set so much, but I can't say it. 
and how it operates cancel culture has a detrimental effect on society. In addition, individuals fearing being cancelled in society are overall now in a heightened state of anxiety due to a polarisation that cancel culture creates. A heightened state of anxiety that is evident by a poll conducted by the Harvard Centre that states 54% of people polled had concern that the opinions expressed align and lead them getting fired. Um, <laughs> more than half people are terrified of sharing their opinion. Isn't that horrific? But for these reasons, this is why we should cancel cancel culture. Thank you for your time. All right. So the con team has two minutes. Would you like to take your two minutes to prepare your rebuttal? Yes. Okay, while that's happening, on the count of three, Ivy struggled with a couple of words. Can you just yell out the word that you hate the most? Could be rehabilitation. Okay, one, two, three. <laughs> okay, that's too much. Did you just say the word voice? Oh, moist. moist. Yeah, moist is the common one, isn't it? Let's be honest. We all have. And what did you say? Gusset. What is gusset? Okay, I'm feeling dumb. What does gusset even mean? Oh, okay, I shouldn't ask. Sorry. Shouldn't ask. Just because I asked that question, can we just go back to a nice Zen state that. Just. I'm going to look up Gusset in the break. Um, should know. Look, Gusset was a man's name. All right, are you, um, you guys ready? No, still with some time. Pro team. Did you guys meet a couple of times to get ready for the we debate? We had dinner. Dinner yeah. together. We had a lovely dinner. He slow cooked us meal. It was very nice. A slow cooked lamb. Yeah. It was slow excellent. Slow cooked lamb. Yeah, it was very nice. We what had a... his daughter. It was really nice. That's... Sat down with our paperwork. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you prepared. Yeah. What, what's We're your lamb? Unified. Your unified despite unit. Despite the entrance. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the entrance. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. unified. What were you forward. doing during the entrance? Well, just let me know when you're well, ready. We were like, did just go, and we were like, yeah, just went. They and said I'm like, my name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but they probably said our names too. We were just confused. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> you only get one chance to enter. Are you ready? Okay. Please welcome your first speaker. Now let me get this right. First speaker for the con team, saying that cancel culture should not be cancelled. Sigrid Mather is an undergrad student at UQ, a youth advocate for Queensland Family and Child Commission. Please welcome Sigrid to the stage. Thank you. Look, I'm just going to jump straight into it. This discourse is not simple. Unfortunately, the reality is that it's much more complex than the opposition has and will lead you to believe. And as the con team, it is our responsibility to bring you the truth regarding cancel culture. This truth is that cancel culture has roots that span back to the evolution of our primate ancestors, spans back millennia. It is that evolutionary journey that we find essential to take you on tonight. With our primate ancestors, physical grooming was the primary form of social connection. But then as social groups grew larger and larger, this had to develop into vocal grooming. This seemingly meaningless uh, collection of chatter then developed into what we now would understand as meaningful speech. But not only was meaningful speech instrumental for social connection, it also allowed our ancestors to relay quick reports about others. It gave a voice to the intuitive instinct to be able to read others and their intentions. This was the very first form of what we now refer to as gossip. A very prolific historian, Yuval Harari, explains gossip as an essential evolutionary necessity that allowed our ancestors to be able to establish who is us and who is them. <laughs> gossip was an essential survival tactic. Fast forward to the analog age of communication and social groups have continually grown in size and span. It was none other than black folks and marginalised groups who recognised the need to evolve with this. They revolutionised gossip into a spearhead to incite mass non-violent action in the form of boycotting. They recognised who was us and who was them and acted on it in one of the most powerful yet highly moral means yet. And then with the digitalization era, our society just continued to spread and we wanted things faster and we wanted things quicker. And so the development of social media obviously forced um, the uh, nature of boycotting to be able to keep up with this. 
boycotting through social media turned into what we now refer to as cancel culture. And so if you take only one thing away from tonight, let it be this. Cancel culture is not new. It is merely the latest digitized iteration of gossip-driven action. It is a millennia-old evolutionary necessity. You cannot cancel cancel culture. It is not possible. So instead of trying to disown the very foundations of what has kept us alive for so long, the only thing left for us to do is to embrace it, to revolutionize it, to evolve with it. Thank you. All right. How's it going? Is it still good? Okay. Pro team, two minutes. Take your two minutes. Get ready with your rebuttal. Um, okay. Where are you two running off to? You've had enough. It's a protest. No, it's fine. Enjoy. Enjoy your break. I will say one thing, though. I know I was being a little bit silly at the start about the hate mail from the radio. The listeners are lovely. They're really lovely. But occasionally it will come through. And I wanted to point out one incident that did happen when I was just filling in on air and someone said, oh, I'm just, I hate listening to these foreigners on air. There's so many foreigners. I'm sick of the foreigners on air. I don't ever want to hear a Kiwi on air again. And I was like, it was just, I was so touched and moved that he was only offended by my Kiwi heritage, not my Indian background. I was like, oh, that's progress for them. That's, so that was a really lovely moment. Um, okay, everyone's working on rebuttal. Um, okay, just yell out your favourite thing to do on an evening. One, two, three. <laughs> what was yours? Alcohol, yeah. We're a, we're a drinky kind of culture. Um, and I'm, I do regret looking up gossip during the break, so that's why I was like... <laughs> That's why Sigrid got an extra 30 seconds because I was in shock. Oh my God. I shouldn't. Are you guys ready? Okay. So, your next speaker for the pro team is Jesse Hughes. Jesse is an internationally recognised creative technologist and screenwriter, has had work shown at Sundance, Essex, SW, and Tate Modern. Please welcome Jesse to the stage. Thank you. I like this, Sigrid. Eve eats apple, cancelled. <laughs> Throwback. Guys, cancel culture does not speak to our humanity. In fact, it is actively inhumane, mechanically so. Cancel culture, at its core, is a maliciously designed media engine which taunts a politically divided society without a goal of an individual's redemption. Now, I agree that cancer culture awakens accountability. Of course, we must face accountability. That is the burden of maturity. But do you face accountability without space for nuance, accuracy, impartiality, nor endeavouring for redemption, driven by a click-hungry 24-hour media window? Is that just? Cancer culture is inherently binary. It is in totality and it is final. You are either cancelled or you are not. Once that little switch ticks over, you are done. A lifetime eliminated in immediacy globally without proportion, sinners beware. Our judicial system doesn't do that. A legal system built on the backbone of every sin ever made, that system still holds space for nuance, for explanation, for context and due consideration. Ah but the internet. Stand before the court of public opinion. A courthouse that is powered by instantaneous clicks and eyes and arguments. Now, I'm sure most of you are aware that these tech companies, they are the richest companies in the history of mankind. Why is that? We don't pay for it, but we do with our time. The longer we can get sucked into our phone, sharing these articles, getting in arguments, the more money they make. And you know what's malicious? They know just how to grind our gears, just the right wording on the right algorithm to get us fired up. Torches and pitchforks, click, click, click. 
Now, humans, we have a dark wiring where we actually experience joy in observing someone else's misfortune, get dopamine. Now, this dark glee, this titillating high of cancel culture, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel superior. When you combine dark joy in seeing an alleged transgressor suffer while lacking your cerebral lens of empathetic reasoning, and you put that into a machine, a machine that is the most powerful, the most omnipresent, globally immediate machine history has ever seen, you get the result of cancel culture. A monotone system devoid of human compassion that can filter into two buckets, cancelled or not cancelled. Cancer culture is not a tool for progress, but an artillery of global corporate machines to keep us divided. I urge you to put our humanity first in eliminating cancer culture. Thank you. Con team, you have two minutes. Now, sometimes some of you might be thinking, is cancel culture more of an American idea yeah. or is it a British idea? It's an American idea. 100% American. 100% American. 100% American. Yeah. But eventually, whatever's American and British arrives here, eventually. <laughs> We're like late. And this happened to me when I was one year old. We used to go back to India for um, family holidays. I left India when I was one. Mum and dad would take us back. To, and we're a Hindu family, not religious, but everyone's kind of Hindu and in the background. And they had never heard of Christmas. And I had just come back from New Zealand and we were introducing them to Christmas and to Jesus and all sorts of things that we had heard about. And they suddenly embraced Christmas when they realised presents were involved. <laughs> and like, my Hindu cousins were like, Christmas, mom, what are we getting for Christmas? So. Yeah, it took off. And now everyone, like our cousins in India, Hindu, Buddhist, everyone celebrates Christmas as well. It's just part of the, the zeitgeist over there as well. So, yeah, it doesn't take long if you've got something of appeal. Pro team, are you ready? No, con team. Sorry. Con team? Okay. Yeah, we are again. Another again. Round two. I didn't like that. No, come on. So, it was great. Everyone's doing great. Uh, Julianne Carroll is a PhD and academic in school of the School of Public Health and Social Work at QUT. Can you please welcome Julianne to the stage? Good evening, everybody. I am Julianne Carroll, and I lecture and research in the scientific field of public health. And as such, I literally did not have the time to fanny around with feelings and hot air <laughs> coming at you from the opponent's team tonight. Not only do I, A, not have the time, but the evidence won't let me. The data simply won't allow it. I've asked the public health machine, a computer, and the computer says no, and it's a hard no. But I won't start with the data, I will start with power and privilege, and I'll pick on good old Voltaire, who famously, famously said, I, will do, I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. It is a populist and appealing sentiment, but Voltaire was no doubt a massive proponent of unfettered free speech because he was born into French nobility and never had to worry about where his next meal was coming from. And quite frankly, I think was given way too much time with dorking stick in the 1600s. <laughs> My point being that the great majority of people prancing around in a tiz <laughs> about the need for unlimited free speech are entitled bourgeoisie downward-punching power-mongers <laughs> who have never once in their lives bothered to check their own privilege before mouthing off ad nauseum about people who irritate them by simply existing. J.K. Rowling can't stand trans women. Andrew Tate is annoyed oh. AF that women exist. And Pauline Hanson, despite what people think, is actually the least discriminating of them all. She hates everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with these people is that they have forgotten one important thing. We live in a society. Thanks, George, from Seinfeld. <laughs> these people have zero consideration for the people they silence, the lives they negate, and the people they kill. Which brings me to the data. The mortality data, because dead people don't lie. While Trump invites his fellow manfolk to grab some pussy, one in six women are raped in their lifetime in the US. While Rowling claims that trans women, whose numbers need reducing, were sitting with the global statistics showing that these women are four times more likely to be victims of violent crime than their cis counterparts. And while Pauline Hanson is out there claiming that Australians are lazy, negligent and calling the health gap a joke, our Indigenous Australians live 16 years less than their non-Indigenous um, counterparts. But hey, freedom of mother-freaking-speech, right? 
And we in public health are charged with counting those bodies. We do the math and the math don't lie. So I can tell you straight up, racism kills, sexism kills, transphobia and homophobia kill. So for every wealthy, famous, heralded, esteemed idiot that's out there on the internet having a big cry because a significant portion of society no longer wants to listen to their hate speech, there are tens of thousands of people lying in graves and morgues because of the words put out there by people incapable of human empathy. So I put it to the opposing team, if being dead isn't being cancelled, I don't know what is. Um. That was an academic smackdown, wasn't it? Like, like, like she went over time, but I was too scared to press her. I was like, no. Imagine, imagine if that was your lecture at uni, you'd never miss the class, man. That's, oh, you guys have got two minutes. Let me know when you're ready as well. Yeah. You can just have a little chatter amongst yourselves if you like. I need to recover my strength after. No, she needed a hip hop beat underneath that. Um. Okay, everyone, could you please welcome to the stage our next speaker for the pro team? Elaine Gulamans is a philosopher, a PhD candidate in philosophy at Deakin University, and the chair of Voices of Colour. Please welcome Elaine to the stage. Okay, so quite simply, cancel culture should be cancelled. Uh, I will close the pro side of this debate by arguing in favour of humanity and the greater social good. Uh, it is important to keep in mind your duty here today is not to worry about how we would cancel cancel culture or whether it's even possible, uh, as Sigrid um, touched on, because it's part of our evolutionary DNA but we're simply concerned with the normative question of whether we should or should not. Now, the focus of this debate has been whether, or outside of the debate, rather, whether cancel culture delivers a net positive for humanity. We argue on balance, it does not. The negative side of the debate wants you to think of cancel culture as good, because it brings certain people to account. That is another way to say that demonstrations with torches and pitchforks are good. But they're not. Demonstrations with torches and pitchforks have always failed to provide the necessary conditions for unbiased inquiry and respectful dialogue. One might say, who cares? If the target hadn't said it or done it, they wouldn't be cancelled. That may be. But to attack someone with no scope for respectfully managing the conversation or proportionally meeting out consequences is unethical and quite simply unkind. So we all lose out when we live in a society engrossed by cancel culture. We have heard in this debate a key feature of cancel culture is how it divides communities. In every case, a cancel campaign crudely and artificially splits a community into two polarized groups. Now, the con team wants you to think that that's a good thing. We've always had us and them. But members of each group are made to see the others of an outgroup and have feelings of suspicion and mistrust about them. Now, once gripped by these highly negative affects, virtues such as openness, active listening, Reason and goodwill go out the window. These virtues are then replaced by vices such as intolerance, closed-mindedness, and even cruelty and hatred. Cancel culture brings out the worst in us. Whether one is the poster victim of a campaign, an organizer, an influencer, a participant, the target themselves, one simply cannot help but be gripped by these strong feelings that surface and get us out there with our torches and pitchforks. So in the interest of bettering society and upholding environments that urge us to be our best rather than our worst, I urge you to cancel, cancel culture.
maybe that's a theme to think about, which I don't think we've covered enough, is the idea of redemption. If you have been cancelled, can you come back? Is the mob still good with due process to let you have a way back as well? That's an issue we'll talk about in just a moment. Con team, you've got a minute and a half left. Get yourself ready, have a chat amongst yourselves. Let's just listen to some smooth jazz for another minute and a half. Hear you, hear you. Speaker, the final speaker of the evening is from the con team. Dan Axelson describes himself as having a BA in BS. <laughs> Politics, he calls it. Um, and an MBA from UQ, a certificate in whiskey tasting. Can you please welcome Dan to the stage? <laughs> Hello and good evening. I'm gonna be looking down a lot, so I'm sorry. I'm right here with all of you, though. So I just wanna say thank you first for having me along tonight. This being my first public debate, I was, of course, scared shitless at the prospect of failure and the inherent risk of being canceled. But as the good book says, live by the sword, die by the sword. So nonetheless, here I am. Our position is simple. I think Ellen said the same thing, too. So I think we're simpler. I'm the simplest here. <laughs> So first, just to say, cancel culture cannot be canceled, as we've said repeatedly. It is in our DNA. As Sigurd has clearly outlined, it is an innate part of being human. Gossip, as it has evolved, contributes to social cohesion and helps us to know who is with us and who is against us. From a psychological and sociological perspective, it is simple. Power comes from empowering others in social networks. Groups give power to those who advance the common good or the greater good. Groups construct reputations that determine the capacity to influence, and then groups reward those who advance the greater good with status and esteem. As a consequence, groups punish those who undermine the greater good with gossip or calls for their cancellation. Further illustrating this, Julianne has clearly articulated that cancel culture provides a platform to combat the terrible impacts of unfettered and unchecked individuals. Hateful words lead to hate-filled actions and therefore should be called out within the public square. This position is, of course, much stronger being evidence-based, not quite as emotive, than that of the censors to my left, who want to scare you with Kafka-esque tales of personal and public harm, such as Ivy's hot take on there being a lack of oversight and protection and rehabilitation, completely overlooking legislation such as 18C, which was brought in place to ban harmful speech. In Jesse's very binary, judgmental, but entertaining view on the evils of the internet, making for good listening reminds me very much of Hanlon's law. Never attribute to malice that which can be attributed to stupidity. <laughs> We're not here to judge those calling for cancellation, but the practice itself. And Alan's attempt to reshape the topic and focus more on the question of shouldn't people be good or nice, isn't what we're here to argue. As far as the question of, is there a net positive benefit, I would say, yes, there is. What is missing from the scaremongering tales and black mirror fantasies is the recognition of the safeguards in place that protect us against undue process, unlawful arrests, and general mob mentality. Not to mention the overall benefits derived from the public dialogue elicited from calls for cancellation. Cancel culture challenges social constructs and norms for the better. The canceling act is the catalyst that, as the French philosopher Jacques Rancière would say, effectively disrupts the distribution of the sensible, challenging established hierarchies and creating moments of rupture that open new possibilities for public discourse and political engagement. Was that the first or the second? Second, but just wrap it up. Oh, okay, I'll wrap it up, speaker, so. <laughs> Almost done, guys, yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, where was I now? Oh, yes, Rancière. So, <laughs> Distribution of the sensible, challenging established hierarchies and creating moments of rupture that open new possibilities for public discourse and political engagement. Through calls for cancellation, apathetic passengers are engaged in discussions regarding the purpose and trajectory of society. The role and assumed supremacy of police and politicians are questioned and innovative governance structures are considered. We progress as a community when these ruptures of the distribution of the sensible occur. Without them, we go backwards. Thank you and good night. So that's the end of the debate. We do have to choose a winner, though, but some food for thought. And just think of any questions that you've got, because we are going to have a panel discussion shortly. So 
I think this is an important discussion because our country will head to a slightly more intense stage, most likely. We saw in America Jan 6 storming the Capitol, Brexit was rough. Surely we'll be the same at some point in the future. We have to be able to talk to each other, have difficult conversations. So it's a topic worth getting more clear about cancel culture. Let's choose a winner, though. Now, I was going to use a humming system, but a few of you are wearing masks. It's not fair. I, I don't want to cancel you by not being able to participate. <laughs> so why don't we have a clapping and applause system to choose tonight's winner? So we're going to have to go to hums if the claps aren't clear. Do not clap for someone you don't want to win. Don't be all nice and clap for everybody, OK? <laughs> don't be one of those people. Pick a side. Pick a side. OK. If you think that the con side won tonight's debate. Round of applause. Okay. Okay. Pretty good. If, if you think the pro side won the debate, round of applause. Um, like choosing between two lovers, like, <laughs> but one was more intense, the other lasted longer, so. <laughs> I, I'm bugger if I know. So I'm going to move you to the humming system, which is my default <laughs> system. <laughs> okay, now just give me a, like a perfect pitch C, like, sort of, Okay, mm. on the counter we've got to get you to hum. If you think... The con side once night, give me a hum. Okay. Okay. If you think the pro side once night. <laughs> What's going on? It's a hum shenanigans. Um, if you think the pro side once night, I can have a hum for them. I'm feeling a bit more energy for the con side, am I right? Like, yeah, it might have a course for them. Um, <laughs> Do you guys want to join up? Can I, can I round of applause for everyone you thought? Yeah. Come on. Um, now. Okay. Uh, just, did you learn anything, Elaine, from the other side? Yeah. What did you learn? What did you yeah. <laughs> um, a few things. I mean... I, I really appreciated the evolutionary aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, while I still felt that dealt with whether we could or couldn't, as opposed to whether we should or shouldn't, it was an interesting part to the debate. Okay. Um, and I, I like uh, the throwing in, you know, the 18C there. That's pretty smooth. Yeah. But, um, uh, it, no. it, yeah, it didn't deal with the fact that there's so much hate speech through uh, the internet, right? And just, oh, we have a law. Yes. But um, it doesn't it? address the fact that uh, you know, there's a lot of hate. We had a few themes, law, uh, evolutionary biology. Julie, Anne, are you normally like that in class? So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what, did you, what did you pick up from the other side? Anything? I, they were really intellectual. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I learned uh, things about the concept of cancel culture that I wouldn't have otherwise known and in context that I hadn't considered be honest. Okay. Well, that's a good uh, benefit of tonight. So what we'll do is we'll take a 20-minute uh, break, so do whatever you like, toilets, drinks, conversation, and we'll come back here and we'll have an open panel discussion where you can ask your questions and we'll go further. Another round of applause, please, for your debaters. And we'll see you in 20. You're listening to The Parlay from Museum of Sticks and Stones. That was the first half of the event, the debate. Our debaters now return for a panel discussion to further explore the topic for this parlay. So I'll just take my seat and I want to start with a question. I'll have questions for both sides. Con side, anyone can answer this. Are you worried about the dangers of mob rule with cancel culture and where that could head? Who, who would like to take that? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go home, guys. <laughs> Uh, I second that no. Yeah. <laughs> I third that no. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. It's unanimous. It's going to be a very short Q&A. Um, I mean, if we were to elaborate on that, I think that... Uh, yeah. <coughs> um, uh, 
Firstly, I hadn't considered it, so I must not be concerned about it. I think that for most people to... Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to have an anecdote, because that's a good oh. segue. I wanted to use this in my... So this is great. So <laughs> uh, I talked to my cousin Brian, who lives in Chicago, about this debate. I said, I'm doing a public debate. It's the first one I've done. And of course, he said, what's the topic? And I said, well, should cancer culture be canceled? Then there was a long discussion about how that's kind of confusing. And we just said, okay, pressing on. <laughs> He said to me, what are you talking about? There is no such thing as cancel culture. He's like, Harvey Weinstein wasn't canceled. He was convicted. There's a big difference, okay? And if you look at it, Louis C.K., he won a Grammy last year for the top-selling comedy album or something like that. So as far as I'm concerned, there is no such thing. And I thought, well, that's very counterproductive to a, a debate, to just deny the existence of the topic, so I didn't yeah. use it. But I do think it's an interesting take on it. So with that, as far as the actual mass support of a call for cancellation... I don't know. I think it's a bit of an echo chamber, but that's just me. Alain, is it, is it a beat up? Is it an echo chamber or is it a real thing? Is it a real thing? You're asking a philosopher. Is it a real thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. It's yeah. A thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Um, look, there are certainly... There, there's mass, right? And, and it's... So you get this mass of people who kind of emotively and emotionally just kind of back a particular position. And so the issue I have is that you lose nuance in, in, in that and you lose the ability to have proper dialogue. Um, so is that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Um, and as Sigrid pointed out, it's always been a thing. You know, that's why we highlight um, torches and pitchforks. I mean, we, we, it's not happening with torches and pitchforks now, but it's the same, it, it taps into the same emotive aspects of ourselves. And um, those, those dark aspects, not necessarily great. So. You mentioned the evolutionary biology angle, which is the tribal part of us, which is angry and has yes. us and them, and yeah. you feel that could replace. What about, yeah, another question for you, Julianne. Redemption, we talked about you know, can the mob can cancel people, What's the path for redemption? That's mm. one of the critics of people on the right, is that cancel culture doesn't offer a way back. It's too punitive, doesn't offer a path of redemption like a mm. formal justice system offers. What would you say to that? I actually will follow on uh, from Dan with that in terms of I think people not only redeem themselves, but they actually gain quite a bit of success from some of the attention they get from being called out. Um, people... Uh, Andrew Tate is a great example because um, uh, while people suddenly started paying him attention saying, this is the worst sexism I've ever heard in my life, this man's positively dangerous, toxic masculinity, etc., etc., everybody suddenly went, who is he, who, and looked him up and then his following just blew out. So I don't think it's always a case. And we do tend to, I think, in cancel culture, pick on people who are in power um, it's, and that's what makes it very different to bullying per se because bullying attacks people who haven't put themselves up there for anything at all, um, who are just, you know, high school kids trying to get by in life. Um, these people have really put themselves out there and, you know, falau and so on. They've t taken time out to say the things that they've said. I don't think someone like falau is looking for redemption from anyone really except God, but um, but certainly not us. So I don't I don't see anyone suffering too much through the through the redemption path. And here's an interesting topic that you raised about it's this idea of like these people become figureheads yeah. for an entire social yeah. issue. Yeah. That makes no sense. Yeah. And that, that that's not productive. It's yeah. not it's not good. So um yeah, Falau, for example, yeah. in his comments. Um not that I'm supporting it, but his his background, like he he grew up in a deeply, deeply, deeply religious community. Yes. So his belief is going to be, you know, kind of in this it space. It's what it is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's this idea of the internet then became this thing of just war, just Oops. <laughs> just absolute war um, totally against these issues that everyone then puts their own personal thing onto, it. and it just yeah. we get this. It just swarm and what you were saying about before about they do become figureheads that is because our algorithms are literally designed yes. by that oh, on absolutely. twitter if you use an angry word in, on your in your tweet it rises it's actually like 13 percent it gets promoted about 13 extra percent because you've used this language and wow. so then that is yeah. why this dialogue is just 
disgusting ultimately mm. and and we just get this divide and i can't yeah we're just living in one of the most polar like polarized Super polarized yeah mm. it's just not productive ivy you want to say something I originally started this debate on the whole thing of um, was it the J.K. Rowling and Anita Bright like parallel where it's like we've just it's just ineffective cancel culture, but realize you want to be harder and go on ya. But originally I was more on like cancel culture is ineffective. We've had the same things for 50 years. Anita Bright was the original where she was saying the things like you know uh, um, gay people are groomers and all that stuff, and that it's the exact same dialogue is here 50 years later. So what's the point of cancel culture if it's like? Like, it should be cancelled. It's infective. It's worthless. It was one my original one was, but then I decided let's go hard in it. But also, I'm really excited to get cancelled because, like, <laughs> like, I'm thinking about all the comedians that have been cancelled, like like Dave Chappelle, like uh, Louis C.K., like, who was the other one? Oh, Isaac Battlefield, Battlefield here. I just feel like it's going to be really good for my career. Yeah. But, but that was, like, my original... cancel Ivy. Yeah, again. cancel me, please. I want the cloud. I love that. Yeah, that <laughs> There's a certain sense of legitimacy once you get cancelled. You know, you really, you really made it. I'm important enough to yeah. be cancelled. That's sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something you were pointing at, um, Juliana, is that it's good for grifting or for selling or for entertainment. Cancelling is really good for your career. Yeah. Let me flip it yeah. to the other side, to the pro team, though. Say we need cancel culture to regulate bad behaviour. What do you do when you take that away? What's the alternative to a cancel culture environment uh, the, to maintain good behaviour by people? The courts? I think I said uh, that, like, right? <laughs> and, and I, I, I would suggest dialogue, right? So... and. Again, I mean, as I touched on uh, in my part of the debate, um, I don't know pragmatically how we would do these things, yeah. right? Because the platforms are each owned by different people. Well, actually, two people, Elon and Zuck. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so the how is, is another thing. But it's whether um, the platforms themselves need to, I guess, encourage... Uh, more positive dialogue and debate like we're doing tonight. I mean, it, let's say if there was some behaviour that we wanted to discuss that, you know, um, was unsavoury, we could do it. But we could do it in a respectful way. So that's... Um... And that develops into, like, the theory of, like, the whole non-violence and just being like... But the issue with the internet of modern age is that, like, anytime someone does something out of a norm, it's, like, projected. And you see it in everywhere in every single circumstance. Yeah. Originally, a lot of the, like... They were talking about, like, the non-violence of Martin Luther King and the Malcolm X example, where it came to the level of... You, you have this internet major thing, so if someone does something silly, everyone in the world sees it. So there's no point where you just can't be the single non-violent. It's so hard to create dialogue when every single mistake is being shown constantly. And that's why the cancer culture divide is there, because it's like a level of like, we take the worst example constantly and we show it and we get that dopamine rush. It's very hard to have dialogue when all we see is the worst in each other. That's, that's an incredible point. And I think it also builds on what Elaine was saying. And you were talking about, well, the how isn't the issue right now. I agree. But if we're to sit here and we're to think, well, okay, let's just try and spitball how we could potentially create a different version of this that's actually more effective than it is at the moment. Because you're right. It's the system that we have and it's the system that we are, that is so deeply ingrained within us. It's not nearly as effective as it could be. You're entirely right. So... What if we brought that back down to education then? Because so much of um, hate speech and so much of um, rumours is fueled by miseducation. I'm a big proponent for straight-up internet literacy. It's something that's so important yeah. nowadays. And so, yeah. like, our generation, my generation's brilliant with it. We got so, like, much thing. But the old generation that has now... I was talking about the Wild West of the internet with these guys a while back, because when I was being raised, there was no rules on the internet. We, it was horrific. <laughs> but but we, because of that, we were raised with all these, like, other restrictions. All this other stuff that, like, taught us how to be, like, good and how to, like, actually digest information. Old generations don't have that. And it's very hard to bridge that divide between us who have learned how to, like, digest and move information to the old generation that actually do struggle with, like, the ability to, like, know what's right and real. And education is very important. It's just, again, I feel like the next generations are going to be brilliant. They're going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. But it's so difficult for us to be like, oh, well, but that's, that's only, like, that's coming up. That isn't here now. I do think one thing that this has just made me reflect on is the notion of community and where you find it. Because with the, the whole, what's implicit in dialogue and wanting to have a discussion is very much around the community that you have and that you create. And I do think that that kind of, <laughs> you know, you're talking about the early days of the internet, I'm thinking like, you know, BitTorrent sharing. It's very much communal. You have to, you have to if, you wanna, if you wanna receive, you have to give as well. So it's this whole kind of, there's a two-way street. Whereas now we live in a generation that just streams, where it's just instant gratification. Now, 
I don't know if there's a parallel there. I haven't thought that through enough. But yeah. I do think that it, it definitely there is a community aspect that needs to be fostered and understood. And whether there is a dependency, over-dependency on kind of the type of dopamine hits that you refer to with that digital content yeah. as opposed to organic conversation. I think it's very difficult, especially too, we all have so much information. And I know everybody says this and there's no original thought in it, but like the actual um, amount of input you can receive and then regurgitate without truly digesting and understanding. It's like me quoting, again, Jacques Rancés, and I go, I think I got this. But then going, shit, if I get called out on this, I'm going to look really foolish, but let's just go with it. Yeah. So I think that it's really something for me that needs to be considered. And there's a certain level of discernment and probably stepping back, but where do you, we don't take the time to do that, there's to step back. A, there's Sorry. a difference, they say, between knowledge and wisdom. There's yeah. plenty of information floating yeah. around, but I don't have my gong. It would have been nice for that. <laughs> um, uh, on that note, can we please have a round of applause for your pro and con teams for tonight? Um, Thank you for coming out. It's very artsy, isn't it? Coming to a debate rather than a concert. It's, <laughs> it's lovely. But ho hopefully there'll be more of that. So I'll welcome Will back to the stage to, to wrap I'm up. I'm sure I want to. It's a little bit intimidating. No, um, I did stitch you up by giving you the bio job last minute. Yeah, that's so right. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. um, but you did fantastically. What a gong player we have. Yeah. Just... Oh, my God. Thank you. You can't take that home. That, that's a rental. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, but again, just the debaters, please, a round of applause one more time. Elaine, Jesse, Ivy, Sigrid, Julianne, and Dan. Um, I did say I would sum up and thank you all. Uh, there's a lot of thoughts running through my head in terms of, of a lot of the ideas that were picked up there. I think we solved it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Done. Somebody tell the Guardian. Uh, <laughs> um, I think some of the ideas around it's evolutionary. We've always had this system. Uh, we've had to have this system for survival. I think that was fascinating. Equally, I think the idea of we have another system, it's called the law. Uh, and what are we doing if that's not working? Maybe that should change, perhaps. Uh, and Jesse, I loved that. Um, that's my new mantra. Hate is dark joy. Wow. And uh, it, it, is, it, it is true to the fact that I told you to begin with, one of the core philosophies behind Sticks and Stones is that hate is human. I think when we began this work, we thought we could figure out some way to expunge that, that there'd be some hack we could figure out to reduce hate. And the reality, the thing that I've learned is that we can't. Hate is just human. There is a dark joy within all of us that we want to hate. The trick, the, the mission, the purpose that we have as humanity is to figure out how to manage that. How do we step away from that dark joy in place of something else? And does anybody know one of the chief correlations of somebody who goes down the path of extremism and radicalization? Huh? Loneliness. No. My fear in the modern society that we have and why tonight is so important is that we have engineered convenience over connection. And so after tonight, if there's one thing I would ask of you, actually, there's two things I'm going to ask of you. Come back to the third edition of the Parlay. Uh, QUT are going to sponsor us again, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> Melissa? Uh, Melissa! <laughs> that's, that's the one request. Come back. Come back again. The second thing I would ask of you is to manage that dark joy. When you are talking to somebody like my aunt, who's a climate denier, it's a whole thing. Try not to react, but to inquire and understand. Understand their viewpoint, that they are a human being, that they are feeling a certain thing, have a certain viewpoint. If we can do that collectively, maybe, just maybe, we won't be leaving the world to AI, but to a few generations. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Very lastly, uh, and we did ask Ashwin somewhat last minute to take up the role of MC. Yeah. I have to say, knocked it out of the park. Um, just TV hosts. Thank you. Uh, I think we should pitch this to ABC. <laughs> yeah. Sunday nights. Yeah. 
Ashton Sagar, yeah. the parlay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cancel Kevin. Uh, I think, Ashton, are we, is that, are we? That's pretty finito? much it. You guys have been through a lot tonight. It's been a bit traumatizing, yeah. so. <laughs> you've come, you've sat, you've listened, you've parlayed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Parlay podcast. To register for future events, you can find the link in our show notes. You'll also be able to explore our research and hear people's stories about experiencing harm online. You can find us across all socials at sticksstones.org. The Parlay Unplugged is proudly brought to you by Dala Health, your personal wellbeing partner. Dala is an Australian-born AI-powered wellbeing app designed to help you understand yourself, your emotions, and provide personalised feedback and tools to improve individual mental well-being. Head to hellodala.com to learn more.